Hey church, great to spend some time with you today. My name is John and I'm privileged to be the youth pastor here at Central and uh, excited to jump into God's word together. Hey, to start our time off uh, today, uh, I want to start by asking you a simple question. And the question is this, have you ever found yourself in the midst of a storm? Well, in March uh, 2012, my wife Heather and I, we traveled to Campbell River uh, to, to go uh, for a weekend of celebration as our friends were, were getting married. And that rainy Saturday morning at 10 a.m., both of our phones char- uh, chimed with a weather alert letting us know that there was going to be a massive storm rolling through the region and that Campbell River could expect to get hit the hardest as the epicenter of the storm was directly in line with the town. Now, having lived in Campbell River for a few years, uh, we were fully aware of the potential for big storms uh, to happen from time to time because it's a part of the reality of living beside the ocean. But that night, we were not prepared for the storm that would slam the city. There's no exaggeration here that, that this was no regular storm like we had experienced maybe hundreds of times before, but rather it was deemed as the perfect storm a decent West Coast-sized hurricane with winds of 134 kilometers an hour plus gusts. This storm, to put it into perspective, was on par with Hurricane Frida, which hit the West Coast in 1962, causing millions of dollars of damage. And I remember at one point that evening, sitting in Heather's mom and dad's living room, thinking that this is, this is probably the biggest storm that I'm ever going to live through in my life. We sat there with a single candle lit, thinking surely that the roof was going to blow off uh, or the windows were going to shatter because the wind and the rain was just so unbelievably strong. You see, that night, not one person in Campbell River slept because all around us, you heard the, the snapping and the crashing of trees, the howling of the wind, the pounding of the rain, and believe it or not, the countless houses whose roofs were either ripped off or had trees land on them. You see, in that moment of the storm, the only response that felt right was to have a strong sense of fear because the storm produced chaos all around us. Well, today I, I want to spend some time looking at possibly one of my, my favorite encounters that Jesus has with his disciples. And I want us to look at a story where, where faith and fear come crashing together and where Jesus reminds us that in the midst of the storms that we need to place our trust in him because he's with us. The story that I'm talking about is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. And while you flip there, I, I think as we jump into our text, one of the things that I want to do is take a quick moment to give you a snapshot of the, the, the gospel of Mark because it helps us understand the perspective in which it's being written. You see, the Gospel of Mark contains no explicit statement or or reason for for being, uh, yet the text indicates that Mark's overarching goal is to help people understand the meaning of, of what Jesus has done and what discipleship to Jesus looks like in what one theologian said is a threatening, confused, and conflicted situation. You see, there is a wide consensus among biblical scholars and historians that the Gospel of Mark was written around 65 to 75 AD, uh, during or just after the height of the Jewish rebellion uh, against Rome that resulted in in mass persecution of of Christians and Jews. It, it, It led to the destruction of the temple and to Jerusalem itself. You see, the Gospel of Mark was written during a a difficult time in the history of the early church. 
And one of the themes throughout is, is that Mark is, is trying to encourage his readers to build up their faith, even as they face challenging circumstances. And so this is where we find ourselves uh, today in the midst of hard times. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things together. We're going to look at storms. We're going to look at the response. And then we're going to talk about the rescue. And, and what I hope to do is remind you that, that in the midst of the storms of life, that, that God is reminding us that as, as followers of Christ, we're called to have a different perspective about the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in. You see, storms don't lead to our destruction, but rather they lead to our dependence and faith on a Savior. And so let's jump into our text together. Let's read Mark 4, verse 35 to 41, and this is what it says. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Well, let's stop there for a second, and let's, let's spend a moment talking about storms together. Here, our text alludes that Jesus is wanting to get across the Sea of Galilee. For whatever reason, Jesus is ready to leave the crowds and continue to minister somewhere else. Our text kind of alludes that Jesus is also tired. And so he tells his disciples, you know what? We're going to leave right now. Load up in the boat. Let's set sail. And so that's what the disciples do. This was supposed to be an uneventful trip when all of a sudden, out of the blue, a massive storm breaks out and the boat gets swamped. You see, our text is actually teaching us something that many of us already know in our lives. And it's this, is that sometimes in life, Storms sneak up on us unexpectedly. But here's the interesting thing that as we, as we study our text, this is, this is the interesting thing, is that the disciples had plenty of experience on this lake. They had spent most of their life casting nets and catching fish, and these guys sailed this, this body of water every single day until Jesus said, come follow me. Now, this is important to note because as seasoned fishermen, uh, they would have been looking for any sign of a storm. You see, there is something very unique about the body of water that the disciples know. You see, the Sea of Galilee sits in a, a basin about 700 feet below sea level. And it's actually the, the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And on one side of the lake, you have these towering hills, and on the other side, you have these steep mountains. And, and what happens in this region is that the cold upper air, air from Mount Hermon collides with the warm air rising from the sea, and it produces frequent severe weather conditions. Massive storms, perfect storms. So if you were to travel to the Sea of Galilee today, you could expect on most days that there would be a strong wind, especially in the later portion of the day. Now, any fisherman who values their life does a few things before they go out. They check the weather. Now, think about it. If you own a boat and you want to go boating, you, you pull up your phone and you check your app and, and you determine whether or not today's going to be a good day to go on the lake. But the disciples, they didn't have that. They had to look to the sky. They had to feel for the wind. They had to look to the water. Because there's no point to, to go into a storm uh, purposely, because all you're doing is risking your life. If there was a storm blowing in, if there was anyone who knew, it would have been the disciples. 
And if that was the case, then the disciples and Jesus could have made alternative plans. Our our text actually implies that there is actually no reason for concern, and so the disciples and Jesus set sail. Listen to our text. It says, until a great windstorm comes and swamps the boat. Now, when Mark uses the word great windstorm, he's not talking about your average storm, but rather what the Greek implies is a hurricane, kind of like that storm in Campbell River. It was perfect conditions that led to a perfect storm. And this storm wasn't a a single gust of wind. It wasn't steadily blowing uh, wind either, but rather it was violent and vicious. This was a storm that was breathing forth from black thunderous clouds and it tossed the boat from side to side. The wind was dangerous. The, The rolling waves were frightening. And it didn't matter how much experience you had uh, on the open water, nothing prepares you for the chaos that you find yourselves in. Now listen, there is a, there's a lot of similarities here between the storm and the situations that we find ourselves in. Like think about it for a second. How many of you in your lives have been cruising along when all of a sudden a light turns off and darkness sets in and something blinds you? It doesn't matter if it's a crisis, a health issue, brokenness. Sometimes in life, you can't plan for things. Storms just happen, and it tosses around like ragdolls. Now, I don't know about you, but, but 2020 has really been a year of perfect storms, hasn't it? To put it into perspective for you, in 2020 alone, there's been roughly 26 to 30 different world-changing events that have, have not only changed the course of the world, but has struck fear, anxiety, and worry into our lives, our hearts, and our minds. On top of that, we have all of the personal stuff and issues that we're walking through. We live in a big storm that doesn't seem to end, does it? Storms that result in some of us losing jobs, our plans and our finances being turned upside down, the things that we took for granted are all on pause. And we find ourselves stuck in the middle of the storm in illnesses and sicknesses, feeling like we're sinking, feeling like we're dying. Why is that? Why is it that storms happen in life? Because it doesn't seem fair, does it? Listen, there is a variety of reasons why storms happen in life. Sometimes you can predict them because you see the clouds rolling in. Other times they blindside you. And I believe that this happens in our lives as well. Everything could be going perfectly fine. And then the next moment you're on the ground. Often I find myself asking the question, why? And as I thought about Uh, this this past week, and I thought about the stuff that many of you are going through in your lives, I I think one of the things that we have to do is gain a different perspective about why stuff happens in life. You know, as we look at the Bible, I believe that this book here gives us a better understanding of why storms happen in our lives. I I believe that as we look in Genesis 3, that we, we realize very quickly into the start of the Bible that there is brokenness. And we live in the reality of brokenness of the world around us. Because of sin, everything leads to death. 
Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This groaning comes from creation as it suffers in bondage is real, it's vivid, and it's so unbelievably intense. And in that, sometimes the storms that we find ourselves in are, are the result of our own sinfulness, or they're the result and the ripple effect of the sins of others. Other times, storms are, are meant to get our attention to bring us back to God, and other times, it's, there, there's just no answer other than a storm has come your way. Regardless of the reason, what the Bible teaches is that we should not only expect storms or trials of various kinds, but we also need to do our best to prepare for them when we can, because storms happen to all of us. It's not a matter of who, it's a matter of when, and at any moment we can expect crisis and things to happen because that's the reality of a broken, fallen world. But in the midst of the storm, the question is, how do we respond? Our text continues and says he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And so what I want to do is I want to focus next by looking at the response of the disciples. Now our story continues and it tells us that Jesus is at the, is at the back of the boat and, and lights are out. And I want you to ask the question, how would you feel if you were in the boat with the disciples? if you were in the boat with Jesus. You see, it's hard to know how to answer that unless we place ourselves into the story for a second. So I want you to imagine you have been with Jesus. You're a disciple. Large crowds of people have been following you because Jesus has been teaching and healing people and amazing things are happening and this crowd is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and all of a sudden Jesus turns to you and says, hey, let's hop in the boat. We're going to the other side. And so that's what you do. You hop in the boat with your closest friends and you begin rowing when all of a sudden an unexpected storm creeps up on you and it slams your boat hard. The next thing you know, the wind is howling and the boat is riding the waves like a really bad roller coaster and water splashing and filling up your boat. Panic is in the air. The guy beside you is throwing up and everyone else is trying to get the water out of the boat before it sinks. And there at the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion, dead to the world, is your friend Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. All of us would agree that a storm is not the best time to be taking a nap. But rather, it is a moment for all hands to be on deck. Jesus should have been doing something, but, but what do you do with that? How do you respond as one of the disciples? You see, for the disciples, their response was to look at Jesus to judge him, to be cynical, to rebuke him. Anger, fear, frustration, disappointment creeps into their hearts and minds, and they tell Jesus, start pulling your weight. Lend a hand. And they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Listen, sometimes in the, the midst of the storms of life, it's really easy to allow our emotions or our circumstances to determine how we respond to a situation. 
The question that comes to our minds so quickly is, is does God care? And I mean, if, if, you have, if you have read the Bible at all, you will notice that there is a lot of verses that seem to imply that God has forsaken his people. In the Psalms, it says this. It says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalms 44, verse 23 to 24 says, awake, why are you asleep? O Lord, rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? Why doesn't God wake up in our storms of life? Where is God when it hurts and life is hard? Listen, as, 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 a, as a person, I have a, I have a hard time answering that question for you. And to be honest with you, I have asked this question lots in my life because sometimes life does seem so unfair and sometimes it does feel like God is distant or doesn't care. But I believe that one of the things that our, our passage is teaching us is, is to have a different perspective. And I want you to look at the story with, with a different lens and a different perspective for a second. Because when you do that, you, you begin to know and, and see the presence of God in the midst of the storm. First off, who was the one who guided them and told them to travel across the lake? If Jesus is who he says he is, do you, do you think that this storm surprised him or caught him off guard? Who, who was the one who was in the boat with the disciples in the midst of the storm? If Jesus didn't care, he, he could have sent his disciples by themselves. Jesus actually did that sometimes. He, he, he sent the disciples before so he could spend time resting and being with God and retreating. But what, what does Jesus do in our text? He, he gets in the boat with them. He's in the storm too. Third, who is the one who awoke when called upon? You know, it's obvious that Jesus is, is like the grand champion of the world of, of having a nap. Uh, water is crashing in the boat, getting him soaking wet, and he's, just, he's asleep. Listen, if Jesus could have slept through that, he could have slept through the disciples yelling in their fear. He could have continued sleeping, but he doesn't. Fourth, who is the one who responded when called upon? You see, the disciples were, were a little mad at him. They, they rebuked him. They asked hard questions. And did that stop Jesus from stepping into the storm and doing something? Listen, as followers of Christ, we're called to have a different perspective about the storms of our lives. And listen, we may feel like God doesn't care, and we may wrestle with how God responds to us in the midst of the storm, but I want you to know that that is okay, because Jesus felt that way too. On the cross, Jesus suffered a painful death, and his response as he was hanging on the cross was to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus experienced pain. It grieved him that God the Father had turned his face away. It had appeared that, that God didn't care or wasn't there. But listen, we always have to remember that there is so much more at play. Jesus may have suffered on the cross and may have felt this burden because God had turned his face from him, but it served as a part of God's plan to reveal the resurrected Jesus and to bring salvation to many. Listen, in our storms of life, 
We're called to have a different perspective of the hardships that we face because God is doing something that maybe we're not aware of yet. James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it, it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, whether that's your illness, whether that's your cancer, your heartache, your loss, your financial ruin, you name it. But listen to how the passage ends. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may, you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You see, God is wanting to do something in your life, and he's going to use the storms and the situations that you find yourself in to, to, to change who you are, to do a new work in you. You see, some of us tend to forget the, the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives and the sanctification that he wants to bring about. And that's because we rely on our emotions and look at our situations instead of looking at who's in the boat with us. Does God care about you? Listen, church, absolutely. If you don't believe me, look at the gospel. The main theme running through the Bible is God's great love for you. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son to die on the cross as a ransom for your sins, to rescue you from the storm far greater than the waves of a sea. He has saved you from death and he has saved you from hell. Listen, if we question God's care for us, we need to keep looking to the gospel to remind us that God loves and cares for us. Instead of asking, does God care? Keep crying out to him. Because the storms of life don't lead to our, dis our destruction, but rather our dependence on a, on a savior. Psalms 50 verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you. Our text continues, and we're going to spend just a moment here talking about the rescue. And it says this, and they awoke him. They said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and, and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The rescue is always the best part of a story, isn't it? It doesn't matter if it's a superhero movie or, or someone stepping in and doing something heroic. We love stories that end in a rescue. Our text ends by telling us that in the disciples' fear and panic that Jesus wakes up from his nap and because he's good, because he listens, he, he, and, he, and he, he cares for his disciples, he stands up and proceeds to rebuke the wind and he says to the seas, peace be still. I don't know about you, but I have never tried to rebuke the wind and the waves in the midst of a storm. Because I know that I have no power or authority over the storm. But our text tells us that instantly, once Jesus spoke, that there was a great peace and calm to the chaos of the storm. The great storm was now replaced by a great calm, all simply because Jesus spoke. Now, as mentioned, I lived by the ocean for a few years, and one of my observations of the many times that I would sit down by the waters after a storm is, that, is this, is that you don't get into the boat right away. Because typically, it takes time for the calm to actually fully arrive. You see, there's something fascinating happening 
in the midst of a storm. Once the wind dies down and the rain stops, often for at least a few hours, if not for the rest of the day, the water is still choppy. It still has waves. And the reason why is when a storm blows against the water, it naturally creates waves. The waves grow taller and taller. They develop more energy and area for the wind to press against them. But as that's happening, something is also happening underneath of the the, the wave as well. And that is, is that the water below the waves begin to move in a circular motion, which sets off another smaller circle below it, and on and on and on it goes. And I can tell you that even though the sun is shining and the wind uh, died down, that I still wouldn't want to be on the water in a boat after a storm. You see, the smaller waves are displacing the energy created by the larger waves. And if you know anything, I think it's called physics, I'm not sure I never took it, but you know that it takes time for energy to be released. You see, Jesus does something that you and I cannot do. And that is the miraculous. Jesus speaks and instantly there is no waves. Instantly, there's no wind. Instantly, there's no rain. He speaks, and all there is is peace. When it says, peace be still, peace in the the Greek means involuntary stillness. He muzzled the sea. He made it unable to speak. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus brings peace to the chaos. And there is something very important happening in this moment between Jesus and his disciples. You see, to the Israelites, the sea was a symbol of chaos. Throughout the Near East, the sea was the symbol of the abyss, of evil, of the enemy. It was was the darkness. To control the sea was to show that you weren't just a mere person, but you had sovereignty over the chaos that was in the universe. And in this moment, Jesus, as he calms the storm, is being portrayed as far greater than than a raging sea. Here he is revealing to his disciples that he's not just a mere man who's tired and sleeping at the back of the boat. He's not just a good teacher, but rather Jesus is mightier than the raging sea. He is mightier than the perfect storm because he is God incarnate. Jesus in this moment is laying his cards on the table. He's saying, I'm the Lord of all and in control of all. And because he had been given power and authority over creation. Jesus himself even said this. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Colossians 1 verse 15 to 17 says that he, the son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things held together. This is the reason why Jesus can turn to the disciples and say, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, the disciples had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus heal many people. They had sat under the most profound teaching. And yet they forgot who was sitting in the boat with them all along. 
But listen to how our text ends. It says that the disciples were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey them? Listen, this encounter with Jesus was one of the first aha moments that the disciples started to notice that Jesus was not just a, a, a man, a mere man. He wasn't just a political savior, but rather he was the Messiah, the son of God, the savior of the world, the one who had control over everything. And he was sleeping in the back of the boat with them. L- listen, how, how best can we prepare for storms in our lives? What can we do in the midst of storms to, to help get us through? If you didn't know this, um, my, my father-in-law uh, was a, a captain for the Canadian Coast Guard. Uh, he spent his whole career going into the storms and rescuing people. And, and one of the things that I love about my father-in-law, uh, father-in-law is the practical advice that he, he gives that transpires into spiritual lives. And so here's some things that I want to share with you that he's taught me over the years that have helped me navigate the stuff of life. First, in the middle of the storm, stop looking at the crashing waves around you and put your focus on the horizon. Listen, if you've ever been in a choppy wave and a storm, you know that it's easy to get seasick. But when you set your, your, your sight on the horizon, you have a different perspective and you can overcome that. Listen, in the middle of the storm, your, your world starts turning, and sometimes all we can look at is, is the waves. But Hebrews 12 verse 2 teaches us the, the reason why we look to Jesus is because he's the perfecter of our faith. We need to look to him. We need to set our eyes on him and stop focusing on just the stuff around us because it actually helps us get out of it. Secondly, I want to encourage you in the midst of your storms to look for the lighthouse, John 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in a dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Listen, in the darkness of the storms, look for the glimmer of hope found in a light. The purpose of a lighthouse is to help, navigate the wa- help you navigate the waters and help you find safe passage. Look to Jesus. He will help you. Third, I want to encourage you to use your navigation and trust your navigation. Sometimes in the storm, it's easy to, to think that your instruments aren't working properly because you can't see. But what Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Your instrument isn't wrong. Trust it. Fourthly, I want to encourage you, call for help sooner than later. You see, the longer that it takes for you to make a distress call, the greater chance that disaster is going to come your way. Psalms 18 verse 6 says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. For his, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. God listens when you cry out to him. Keep crying out to him. He will awake. Fifth, we have been given given a power tool uh, to, to uh, or sorry, a powerful tool to ride out the storms. Uh, Hebrews 6 verse 19 tells us the importance of an anchor. Sometimes in the midst of a storm, the only thing that you can do is put your anchor down into the depths of the sea and to hang on tight. 
Listen, Hebrews 6.19 tells us that we have an anchor for the soul that's firm and secure. An anchor helps you navigate the storm. It helps you just ride it out. Lastly, I want to just remind you to, to remember who's with you. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep setting your eyes on him. Keep crying out to him in the midst of your storms. And so I want to leave you with one last question. And it's the question that the disciples actually left, uh, left with in this sermon or in this passage. They said, who is this? Who is this? Who, who is Jesus to you? Listen, we know that as we, as we read through the book of Mark, we know where the story's headed. It's headed to the cross where Jesus died. And he didn't just stay dead. His life, death, and resurrection tell a powerful story about the kingdom of God and Jesus' ability to deal with the storms of our lives. Jesus does not sleep while we suffer. The storms of our lives will not overtake us because he has been given authority over everything. He is our savior. He is our king. And I believe Mark is inviting each one of us to go wake Jesus up when life gets overwhelming. When worry and stress and panic and anger and fear start to sweep in, go on and wake him. Cast it all on him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, because he cares for you. Church, remember that. No matter the storm, no matter what situation you find yourselves in, remember Jesus is with you. And when we can have a different perspective, storms don't lead to our destruction. They lead to our dependence on a Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for our church. Thank you, Lord, that we are together and that we can study your word. And I just pray that as, as we walk through and we navigate through the, the crazy storms of life, Lord, would, would, would we just be remembered that you're there? Would we not lose perspective of what you're wanting to do in our lives and the things that you want to bring? Lord, will we put our hope and our trust and our faith in you and you alone because you are the only one who saves Thank you, Lord, for our church. Thank you that we can gather together. We pray this in your name. Amen.